Good evening, everyone. My name is Emil, and you're listening to another episode of Emil in the Morning at Night. Okay, so I bought Undertale the other day, but I still haven't gotten around to playing it. I ended up buying an old game I used to play a lot called Desktop Dungeons, and I've been spending what little free time I have there. It's super fun and amazingly designed, can't get enough out of it. But yeah, I'll get around to finishing Undertale very soon. Next week's episode is actually going to be a spoiler cast for Undertale. Gonna hang out with a bunch of my friends and just talk about video games, and then mostly discuss Undertale, so there's that to look forward to. Okay, there's tons of video game news to talk about, but maybe I'll just leave that for next week. Let's get down to talking about this week's episode, yeah? This week, we have a conversation with Pichir de Cerdo, a theoretical physicist and mind mover at the Mind Museum BGC. Pichir is also a member of Filipino Freethinkers, Happy, and the Philippine Astronomical Society. Oh man, I really enjoyed myself during this episode. We ended up talking about all sorts of things. Pichir explains a whole bunch of awesome science, and we end up talking about Star Wars, Star Trek, World of Warcraft, Civ 5. I mean, I actually almost bought the entire Civ 5 collection the other day just because of our conversation. Pichir even shed some light on why Gandhi is such an asshole in the Civ games, yeah. By the end of it, we even end up talking about the relationship between art and science. Super great stuff. I really had a blast talking to Pichir. If you guys enjoy stuff like this, I'll be bringing you conversations about life and video games every week. Alright, let's get down to this week's episode, yeah? Here's Emil in the Morning at Night, episode 18 with Pichir Descerdo. Can you say something for me just so I can test the levels? Something. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. Um, okay. So let's start. Let's yeah, start. Let's start. Perfect, perfect. Welcome to another episode of A Meal in the Morning at Night, where I talk to interesting people over a cup of coffee at night. And tonight, joining us today is Mr. Pichir Descerdo. Yes, am, that's am right. Am I saying that right? Because you have a very... There's lots of I's and E's in your name. <laughs> well, Pichir Descerdo, that's because my name, actually my given name, okay. Pichir. Pichir, yes, 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 yes. For those who are wondering how it's spelled at home. Mm-hmm. It's spelled P-E-C-I-E-R. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when people get to meet me for the first time, they think it's a French name. French, fact, huh? the curator of the museum where I work in, when she first met me, she called me Pissier. Pissier? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fancy as shit. And yeah. a lot of people have called me Pissier as well. And <laughs> I don't mind correcting them. It's like your name is Albert and people call you Albert, right? <laughs> don't bother correcting them because that sounds yeah, yeah, nice yeah, yeah, and yeah, sexy. Yeah, that sounds fancy yeah. as shit. Okay. But it's Pischer. In fact, etymologically, the correct way of pronouncing it should be Pescher. Pesher. Because it came from the middle syllables of my mother and father's last names. My oh, mother's right. last name was Carpena. Okay. Carpena, that's where the P-E comes from. Okay. And my father's last name, which is my last name, is Descerdo. Oh. So that's where the C-I-E-R That's why it looks so similar. It looks similar because it was taken. So your name's a portmanteau of these two things. Oh, okay. Because it's Carpena, it should be Pesher. Although for some reason, my preferred pronunciation is the wrong one. It's Pesher. It's Pesher. But I answer to anything that sounds like it. (laughs) People call me Pesher, Pesher, Pays, Oh, wow. All right. So many different ways of pronouncing it. And I say, yes, (laughs) I answer to all of them. Okay, sounds good. All right. Joining us today is Pesher. Pesher. He's a science communicator at the Mind Museum that specializes in demonstrations on physics and astronomy. For our listeners out there, maybe introduce yourself, maybe tell us a little bit about what you do, yeah? 
Okay, so I am a mind mover. That is my official designation. A mind mover. Mind mover. That, and, that uh, sounds like psychic shit going yeah. on right now. I'm a mind mover at the mind museum. So oh. I don't move things <laughs> with your mind. With my mind. Okay. You move minds. Yes, that is exactly what I do. Or All sometimes right. great. try to blow minds as well. Oh wow, yeah. So I also that try happens to, be... to me a lot during these <laughs> interviews. So what exactly does a mind mover do? What does that entail? So that entails a lot of things. In fact, I often kid to my friends who are versed in philosophy okay. that my job is like an existential job. Okay. So in the same way when Sartre said, existence precedes essence, for us mind movers, the way we do our jobs precedes our job description. Okay. All right. Yes. So what we do every day, that is our job description. And that entails usually doing the science part of the museum operation. So we're part of the education team and we do what we can to educate the public when it comes to science. Basically educating all the visitors that come here at the Mind Museum. Yes, okay. so sometimes that requires us to write educational programs. Okay. That requires us to see these educational programs to be executed so that they're awesome and great and they educate, they have impact. Oh wow, Sometimes right. it also requires us to write blog articles, for okay. example, or write signages for our exhibits. And we also help with the exhibit team. So we have an exhibit team, but the education team also helps the exhibit team in conceptualizing exhibits. Okay, that sounds super cool. Okay, it's my first time having someone like you here on the show. Mm -hmm. Usually I have artists on, usually I have like video game enthusiasts. Uh -huh. I think it's the first time I've ever had had someone like you here on the show. Okay, so by training, you're actually a theoretical physicist and you're currently working on your MS thesis in the field of theoretical astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Oh man, like that's that's all like you said you like blowing minds and just by what you do, like me just reading that, that's already blowing my mind. What's that about? Well, theoretical astrophysics is just the theoretical side okay. of astrophysics. And astrophysics is just the application of physics on questions of astronomy. Okay. So when you're studying stars and black holes and galaxies, mm -hmm. planets, which are my main interest planets. Okay. There, you apply physics there, that's astrophysics. A theoretical astrophysicist sounds cool, but <laughs> he's just an astrophysicist who does not deal with telescopes, who just wants to do it using a computer or a pen and paper. Oh man, come on. Like, just mentioning the word like theoretical astrophysicist, that's super cool. I mean, it's not every day you meet someone like that. And just like having you on this show right now, I have so many questions to ask you, but like right now, I don't even know where to start. So if you were to tell me anything about what you do, what you're interested in, where would you start? How would I start getting to know who Pischer is? Oh my God, the universe is so big. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Holy crap, okay. I, I really don't know. But maybe I could start with a specific field I'm working on right now. Okay, which, which is, is the formation of planets. The formation the form of planets. Because my ultimate goal really in life <laughs> is to be able to contribute to the question of aliens. Aliens, yes. okay. Like, Lots of people out there who yeah. are into that kind of stuff, yeah? No matter what I will do, there are so many things you could do on mm -hmm. the field of aliens. And the main scientific project there is figuring out the terms of this equation called the Drake equation, right? The Drake, the Drake equation, equation. Yes. okay. The Drake equation is a simple equation formulated by the astronomer Frank Drake okay. to help us answer the big riddle of aliens. And the big riddle 
has the name the Fermi Paradox. The Fermi Paradox. I think I've like slightly grazed yes. upon that topic before, but for our listeners out there, care to explain what the Fermi Paradox okay, is? So the Fermi Paradox was asked by the physicist Enrico Fermi. Mm-hmm. So he said, okay, the universe is so big, like unimaginably big. Yeah, the number yeah. of stars that are out there easily outnumber the number of grains of sand. So for a moment, if you imagine all the grains of sand in all the beaches of Earth, mm-hmm. Those grains of sand cannot even match the number of the stars. That yeah, are uh, to our human mind, it's like something that is very mind-boggling to the point that we can't even grasp how yeah, yeah, big yeah. the universe is right. without an analogy like this, mm-hmm. you know? So our, our brains just stop. Okay, so we just have numbers yeah, yeah, to help yeah. us understand that. And we've recently learned that most of these stars have more than one planet going around them. Okay. So as many as, on average, seven, eight, like ours. Nine. Like our solar yes. system, okay. So many, many planets. So the number of planets is unimaginably big. Now the question is, if the universe is so old and so big, there are many planets out there, a variety of worlds, there should be lots of aliens. And Enrico Fermi posed the questions, where are they? We've been here for quite a while, but we haven't seen even just one alien, you know? Yes, yes. So that is the Fermi paradox, where are the aliens? And so different scientists have been struggling with this question for a while. Like, why don't we see galactic empires trying to subjugate us? Why is our universe not very Star Wars-like? Yeah, exactly. You'd expect it to be Uh like that, not just in galaxies far, far away, but even in our own galaxy Mm -hmm. nearby. Why don't we see galactic civilizations? So the answer that Frank Drake tried to formulate would be the Drake's equation, which is an equation that gives us several terms that helps us estimate how many intelligent aliens should be out there. Okay. So that's the number that it turns out. Now, the difficulty is that the first terms we know, the first term of the Drake equation would be how many stars are there? And how fast are stars born? How fast do they die? We know that Mm -hmm. already. We have a good idea what that number is. The second one would be the number of planets. We still have some wriggle room there. It has a nice balance of we know a lot of things about it, but there are also a lot of things we don't know about it. Uh It's really new. It's really sexy. And that's where (laughs) I'm working on. But there are other terms there as well that I want to work on in the future and that have more room for speculation in them. And that would be, for example, one of the terms there is how quickly does life arise? Mm, Like mm. In all of these planets, what is the probability that a planet will all of a sudden have goo that will be alive. Yeah, Just like when when does the primordial soup begin? Indeed, uh-huh. yes. And for example, if you had a hundred primordial soup, what fraction of those primordial soup would all of a sudden be alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How exactly. does something that's not alive become alive? Mm-hmm. And another term that has a lot of speculation in it because we don't know so many things about this question is of all of those planets that develop life, how many of them will develop intelligent life? And that's a very Ah. problematic question because what do you mean by intelligent Intelligent life? I mean, like, how how would you even be able to tell that something is intelligent without their perspective? Indeed. Uh In fact, a lot of people have made the joke Uh that maybe the surest sign that there's intelligent life out there in the universe is the fact that they haven't tried to contact us. I mean, that is pretty smart. We do fuck up a lot of things. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And maybe they know we're here, but they just steer clear away from us because... I'm smarter than I'm that. just imagining a bunch of aliens out there, like, <laughs> staring at us. Look at those fucks. Look at what they're doing right now. This is so... I'm never gonna visit them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Man, like, we've only started talking for, like, a quick bit, and we're already talking about, like, the Fermi paradox. Yes. And, like, I'm sure this is gonna be a very new episode for my listeners, and I'm a big fan of this, because usually we learn a lot about, like, the people on the show, the local people, but right now we're actually learning about science. And yeah. to me, that's, like, super exciting, because 
because as a kid, like I was really into science and stuff, but I don't know, maybe that just didn't really pan out for me. But like for you, you chose this path and you chose to actually continue studying this and continue teaching it. Uh -huh. So here at the Mind Museum, you are in charge of demonstrations on physics and astronomy. Yes. As an example, what do you do? What are these demonstrations? All right, they would be science demonstrations that are regular. Mm -hmm. Like we announce them over the PA system and then we go to the area where we do the science demonstrations. Okay. What people would usually call science experiments. Oh, all right. So for example, we would have the usual stuff like mixing chemicals, watching them well, not really blow up because we're <laughs> we're not allowed to do that. Gotta inside. be safe. Yeah, gotta, gotta be safe. safe, especially with the kids around. Always oh, man. Have to remind yeah. them that, for example, when they're dealing with fire, when I light up a match, I often tell them, kids, this demonstration involves fire, so please don't do this at home. Mm, that's... Do it at your friend's house. <laughs> I say, and I always pull my punch yeah, with yeah. that joke and say, okay, that was a joke, but fire is not a joke. Okay. Please, please, always ask for the assistance of an adult. Like, I keep forgetting that a big bulk of your visitors yes, are, are, are students. actually students. Yes. Uh -huh. I keep forgetting that. Lots so... and lots of students. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just get so surprised at how many people there are in this country. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. there are 101 million Filipinos here in these 7,000 islands, but 101 million is just a number until you finally get to meet a sizable fraction of them and you get, oh my gosh, yeah, there's yeah. so many kids <laughs> in the Philippines. I mean like, so many. that's super similar to what we were saying a while ago that like our human <laughs> mind just can't fathom these big things yes. until we actually see it uh, or we have an analogy. Yes. I mean like, I forget about how many people are here in the Philippines until I'm stuck in traffic and that's that is true. That is true. <laughs> and sometimes I get that feeling to when I do the demonstrations, that's one thing I do. Another thing I regularly do here at the museum would be to give sort of lectures. They're sort of lectures inside the planetarium. Okay. But I try to make them less of a lecture and more of a conversation or closer to another thing I like to do and I hope will be a thing okay. called stand-up science. Stand-up yes. science. So instead of it being a lecture where I give like technical details about the science behind it. Basically the stereotypical image of a professor yes. in front of a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I want to do is make a show basically where true I'm giving mostly a monologue but it's a monologue in the same way that stand-up comedy is a monologue and in huh. the same way that stand-up comedians when they do that monologue want to get laughs out of people I want to get awe and amazement out of people uh -huh. that is what so stand-up science isn't really stand-up comedy with science it's something totally different it's something completely different yes. but within the same spectrum yes uh -huh. so laughs would be very helpful it would be great if laughs could, would be nice yes. Uh -huh. would be nice, but it's really the awe and the amazement and, you know, the dropping of the jaw that you're after when you're doing... Basically, you want to blow minds. Science. Exactly, okay. yes. I want them to leave the planet there, I'm dazed. <laughs> just looking into nothingness and saying, oh my gosh, wow. I'm living in such an amazing universe. The mundane things become magical all of a sudden. And okay. I do that every Sunday. The show is called Awesome Astronomy. Awesome, yeah. Astronomy. awesome Astronomy. Every Sunday, was Every it? Sunday afternoon here in the museum. So it's part of the museum experience. So when people visit the museum, they don't need to do anything extra. They just go they just visit the, the museum and yes. find you there. Yes, find okay. me inside the planet. So for our listeners out there who maybe would like to get an experience of stand-up science, Sundays at the Mind Museum. Uh -huh. And I only got that idea of stand-up science that, oh, what I'm doing in Awesome Astronomy is kind of stand-up science. When I was actually asked to do a different show in Conspiration, you know, Conspy Bar in Quezon City. Oh no, I'm not there. familiar. I was invited to go there. It's the kind of place where a lot of really good local bands are mm -hmm. playing with their own music, singer-songwriters, and then you also have a lot of good writers and poets writing 
right read. Ah, all right, all right. There. So, so it's a very grassroots kind of location, yes, yeah? grassroots and artsy. Okay. Yeah, so the people there are, well, a lot of hipsters, mm -hmm. a lot of very arty folk, very literary, mm -hmm. and they would do, of course, what's that called when you read poetry? In slam a, poetry. Slam poetry. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have there. a couple of friends that do that. There, yeah. yeah. So really excellent work. And then I was invited to do something like that but science. And huh. I would go to that shop and like, wow, my thing is not so out of place here. I was so surprised. Really? Yes. How did the crowd react when you started doing this stand-up science there? Yeah, so I felt it was stand-up science because the stage really looked like the typical stage where stand-up comedians work. Like with a brick wall and everything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with a brick or sometimes some instruments left oh, by okay. the band who just Instruments played. left yes. behind, a uh, high stool, yes, a uh, bottle of water. Exactly okay. that. And a stand for the mic and a limelight on you where you could barely see the faces of the audience anymore because the audience is very dimly lit. Yeah, exactly. dimly lit while you are in the spotlight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I was there, the first thing I talked about was optical illusions when I was invited there. Optical when I was invited illusions. for a second time, I talked about still illusions, but this time it was deeper. It was why space and time are illusions. Oh, wow. Okay. So our perception of reality, yes. basically. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, That's pretty deep. So yeah, wait. why time is an illusion. And when I was there on the stage looking at the people I thought I feel like I'm a stand-up comedian except <laughs> I'm getting a few laughs here and there not so boisterous because I'm not as funny as say Louis CK but I get laughs here and there but I get awe I get people saying wow oh, really yeah basically yeah. there so I thought this should be a thing stand-up science you know that sounds like something that would be super cool to be in more bars and stuff <laughs> like that and you mentioned you didn't just do it one time basically people invited you again because they enjoyed it huh yeah I, I oh, thought so. Yeah. You'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Oh, man. Yeah. So when you were doing this kind of stand-up science, was this something that you just came up with? When did you coin the term? Anything like that? I coined the term after I did it the first time. And then I realized that what I do in the museum generally, especially under the planetarium, is the same is thing. Is the same thing, except okay. I had a certain, like, visual aids, which is ah, the planetarium. Of but course. there, I didn't have any visual aids whatsoever. It's just me in the mic and the facts about reality oh, man. and me talking about these things. And what's even more amazing and what made me think it's very close to stand-up comedy is stand-up comedians, the really good stand-up the best. Okay. They say things that we are all aware of. Yeah. We know those facts already. Exactly. Right? But they say it in a way that makes us laugh exactly. so um, hard. There is this saying that comedians don't say funny things. Uh -huh. They say things funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh -huh. So it's not a new thing, right? It's a thing we're all aware about. Mm. And most of what I do when I do stand-up science, these are facts that people are either dimly aware of or they know already because they've heard it in science class, they've read it in a book, mm -hmm. but I just state it in a different way, in a way that makes them see this normal everyday fact in a different light. Huh, and so makes them amazed, like, yeah, I know that, but I'm just starting to see why it is in fact awesome. The analogy I'm getting here, so like, instead of like, let's say Jerry Seinfeld, instead of like observational comedy, yeah. you're doing observational science. Science, exactly. Ba basically pointing out everyday things to people and changing their perspective a bit just to make it amazing. Yes. Huh, okay, that sounds super cool. Oh man, like, I would love to maybe like, go to one of your shows. I mean, like, I hope this starts being a thing, yeah. Yes. Okay, so we've talked about so far, you're a mind mover mm -hmm. at the Mind Museum. You're currently doing 
doing your thesis for theoretical astrophysics, but like, what do you do on your off time? I mean, this is sort of your professional life, but at the same time, these are the things you love, right? Yeah. But like on your personal time to wind down, like maybe like as a hobby, what do you do? As a hobby, I, well, I read a lot of books. You read? Yes. Okay. Like, what are you into? Oh. Well, I'm into the classics, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just want to read everything that I can grab my hands on before I die. Oh, man. That's pretty <laughs> As, grim. Yeah, not really. Okay. It's just I want to read all the good things that are out there. Okay. And sometimes I get surprised on what great things are there. So I try to read as many classics as I can. Mm -hmm. But... From experience, the kinds of things that I enjoy reading the most would be comedy. Comedy? Yeah, especially comedy that touches still a bit on sci-fi and fantasy. So I'm a big fan of Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yeah, I love yeah, that. And yeah. Terry Pratchett, Discworld. Okay. So, uh, so I love that kind of thing. And I love science fiction. I've discovered that I enjoy reading science fiction. Science fiction in general. So which side are you on? Like Star Trek? Star Wars? What? Okay, well, so when it comes to the movie, <laughs> I would say, well, Star Trek or Star Wars, automatically I would say Star Trek. <laughs> okay. Automatically. That, like, I was pegging you for a Star Trek guy. Yes. Exactly. Uh -huh. I mean, we talked off mic a bit a while ago about, like, hmm, Star Wars, Star Trek, and, like, you were already saying, like, hmm, Star Trek. Like, hmm. Okay, so Star Trek, huh? Actually, some people would actually argue that Star Wars, like, even though it has, like, a sci fi sort of background, mm -hmm. It's more fantasy than anything. You I know? would say so. So I'm sorry to the Star Wars fans out there who would say that it is science fiction, but I would say it is fantasy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, it's so fantastic. It is even in the more fantastic side of science fantasy. There's this genre called science fantasy, right? Like, Gene Wolfe is science fantasy, or another favorite author of mine, Philip Pullman, okay. author of His Dark Materials, the first book of which is called The Golden Compass, okay. which they butchered with that movie. <laughs> Oh man, yes, really? But they're planning to make a BBC series soon, which I hope will revive. I saw that on one of my Facebook feeds. Yeah, yeah. it looks kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I hope it will be nice. So that is science fantasy. And it's already in the fantastic side and Star Wars is there. So that's an entire spectrum from very hard sci-fi to soft sci-fi to science fantasy all the way to fantasy. So you're more and of Star Wars is in the fantasy side. So it's way way over there. Yes, so you're a fan of fantasy. the Star Trek. Like a lot of people will tell me like I see this argument on my <laughs> Facebook feeds all the time. One of my friends just recently just the other day she was like Star Wars is sci-fi. I do not understand people saying it's fantasy. And usually my argument there is Dude, it's space wizards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're basically space wizards, right? Yes. So it, it's a very fantastical thing. So what exactly differentiates like sci-fi from other genres? I think what makes sci-fi sci-fi sci yes. is the fact that it acknowledges the role of what we know, how we know things, and technology especially. So mm -hmm. those would be science and technology. The effect of these things on our acts, on our self-identity. Okay. Because of course, fiction will always be about people, right? Even science fiction, good science fiction, should still be about the characters and the things that they feel. But most literature seem to say that there is this fixed angst that all humans will feel forever and ever, and that <laughs> won't change. Of course. But science fiction says no. For example, with the internet today, 
Okay. We have different struggles from the people of the past, and we have struggles which they cannot relate to. They can't grasp at it at all. all. They can't uh -huh. grasp it at all because we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have all of these technology that are science fictional yeah. for them. I mean, hell, even I can't grasp Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. Or our Wikipedia, mm, or mm. say TV tropes. Like, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. The abundance of knowledge that is out there just within our reach at the tip of our fingers. Exactly. That, We live in an age of like infinite information. Yes. You know? uh -huh. And because of that infinite information about ourselves also, mm -hmm. the way we express ourselves has changed, has been affected, the way we relate with our friends, with people, and also the way privacy works, for example, the way we interact with our heroes, for example. I mean, okay. remember during the 90s, the 80s, when there was, well, there was internet, but not to the same degree we have now. Not as prevalent. Yes, not as sure. prevalent. So your relationship, for example, with your favorite musicians was very different. Yeah. Right? You would just have like an album, uh -huh. and if you were lucky, they'd come to town. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. And they were very mysterious to you. Exactly, yeah. Because these people were like just names, and maybe you know their names, but they'd rarely tweet about their mundane lives. Yeah, and like, so they'd keep that air of mystery. You would have no like way of knowing what, let's say, like I'm a big fan of Megadeth. I had no way of knowing what Dave Mustaine was having <laughs> yeah, for breakfast. Exactly, now you can. Yeah, and, and that changes your view of them. That exactly. changes your relationship to them. It's a completely different situation of yes. our relationship with everything. Yes, days, really. even with TV shows, for example, back then, you had to be in front of the TV screen at a given time, at a given day in order to see your show, oh, right? Man. Yeah, like back when I was growing up, <laughs> I had to be home by 7 p.m. <laughs> That's or right. else I'd miss my shows. Yes, uh -huh. and you just get so surprised at what the showmakers throw your way. Uh -huh. Sometimes you're so pleasantly surprised, you're mind blown, like, oh my gosh, the, the showmakers are awesome. And sometimes you get so mad and frustrated, you want to throw <laughs> things at the television. Exactly. But it ends there. Now that you can interact with the showmakers, they do AMAs on Reddit, oh, you yeah. can influence the way they do the show. Exactly. Right? You can even change the showrunners, like the opinion of the fandom that can change, you know, the interaction of canon and fandom creating fanon. It changes so many fanon. things. Yes. That is the first time I've ever heard that term. Fanon. <laughs> fanon. Wow. Okay. So, so it changes the way the audience interacts with the artists. Okay. Blurring the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. And science fiction is the only genre of fiction that I see that recognizes this fact puts it in the fore. And I think it is very interesting. Huh. That's why I love science fiction. That's a pretty amazing way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And like, <laughs> like, I hope our listeners followed because we went through a long way before <laughs> having to explain what makes science fiction science fiction. But yeah, yeah. I, I like that about science fiction too. And like, they try to bring forward this understanding of like our surroundings, our technology, yeah. like things around us uh -huh. and how we relate to these things. Yes. And to me, that's very interesting. I mean, like, for example, take Star Trek. Mm. Like, it's set in a universe Universe wherein we've taken care of everything. Yeah. We have replicators. We have holodecks. Yeah, we, we, we solved everything basically. And the only thing left for humanity is maybe check out the rest <laughs> of the universe, you know? Yeah. And that to me, it explores the adventurous spirit of humanity and what they do when faced with the unknown, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's amazing. And like, well, maybe, I don't know, like, 
maybe it's sacrilege to say this. I'm just really not that big a fan of Star Wars. <laughs> like, I like Star Wars uh-huh. for like Star Wars' sake. Like, I love the lightsaber battles. I love the Force. Oh powers. yeah, that is great. That's why playing Star Wars games, yeah, is really great, right? You get Actually, to feel the Force. You get to jump and exactly. do lightsaber battles. That's the most fun thing about. That Star is Wars. probably the best part about Star yeah. Wars for me too. Because like growing up, I would play all these Star Wars games, and I'd be like. <gasps> I, I get to use a lightsaber. Yeah, that's I get right. to use the force powers. Oh my god, it's the coolest thing, right? Yeah. And I don't know, because everyone seems to be on this hype train right now mm. about the new Star Wars that's yeah. coming out, right? Yeah. I mean, for a while, everyone was nuts about that little ball robot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone was nuts about getting it. Everyone was nuts about all the trailers. And for some reason, I can't find the hype within me. Mm. <laughs> I can't find the same excitement everyone else on the internet seems to be having about this, this, this ball robot. Yeah. What about you? Are you excited for Star Wars? I guess I am. I'm excited, but I share your sentiments. I am not as excited as everyone else, although I try to be, and I would say that more than being excited, I am hopeful. Hopeful, yeah, okay. I hope, well, not really hopeful, it's more wishful. <laughs> that they don't screw yes. it up? <laughs> I wish that it'll be an improvement. Yes. You're basically the... saying you hope there won't be another Jar Jar incident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh man. Okay. So right now we're rambling. We're okay. rambling on about our interests. We're we're talking all about the shit we're into. Mm. Like so far for our listeners, we've covered your work. We've covered what you're into. We've mm. covered like Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like besides Star Wars and Star Trek, what do you do in your free time? I'm looking over here at your profile and uh, it says here you're a member of Filipino Freethinkers. Yes, I'm a member. Member of FF. I'm also a member of a related organization, the Humanist Association of the Philippines, Incorporated or Happy. Okay. These are basically organizations composed of people who want to strive for free thought and humanism. Okay. So let me parse that. Free thought, free thinking is basically thinking, looking at the world in a way that is free of dogma, free from dogma and doctrines. Okay and tradition. So whatever you want to believe in, free thinkers want you to think about those beliefs independently, using reason, using logic, using science, without recourse to tradition, without appeals to authority. Basically using your own judgment. Yes, using your own judgment. That would be the main strive. Yes, and another main strive of free thinkers is open argument, that we must be able to disagree about things peaceably without Without violence, yes, because of course if we use our independent judgments, we will end up believing in different conclusions, right? Exactly. A and B will have different conclusions. And we should talk about these differences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We should not sweep them under the rug. We should say, hey, this is my opinion. I think society should be arranged like this and another person would think, no, it should be arranged differently, like this. But we should talk about it in a way that we don't hit each other. Yeah. But in a way so that in the end of the conversation, in the end of the debate, we can reach a compromise and finally say, okay, I have been convinced by you and certain aspects so I'm gonna change my opinions on those and perhaps you have been convinced by me in certain aspects and you have to change your opinions as well. So it's changing your opinions based on changes in data, change in information if you discover new things or if someone convinces you otherwise. So free thinkers don't have a solid set of beliefs that they'll forever hold on to. Mm-hmm. In fact, free thinkers are people with a fluid set of beliefs because they're people whom if you talk to them and you give good points, 
they will agree with you. Like, huh. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that term, yeah. a fluid sense of belief. Yeah. Because like some people tend to be very stubborn with what yes. they know. And with a lot of people, mm. with what they know, they mm. like to stick to what they know. Yes. And they don't like shattering their perception that of the right. world. Yeah. And like, I actually see Filipino free thinkers on Facebook, mm. like on my feeds every once in a while. Mm. But like you explaining what you guys stand for and what you guys believe in and what you guys want to put out there, that's something I actually want to talk about because it's very cool to me in a way that I'm a person that likes to have conversations mm. at length. Yeah. Like, I like to talk about my perspective, your perspective. Mm. I love to argue. I love to yes. disagree. Yeah. I love drilling down into mm. your brain, my brain, yes. that kind of stuff. That and, is very important. And a lot of the time, I will bump into these types of people that always make it into a weird... I don't know how to say this, really. Like, I will bump into someone and I will try to engage in a lovely conversation mm. and mm. they will take offense. Yes. The problem with a lot of people is that they don't seem to be able to separate having their ideas criticized and having them criticized, ah. right? When you criticize their ideas, they get offended because they feel that you are criticizing them. Basically, instead of thinking that you are just having a discourse over yeah. concepts, over ideas, yes. they think you're actually judging them as a person, as a being. Yes. Huh, okay. Uh, and the problem with these people is when they get into Conversate. Well, you can't converse with them in the first place because conversation means conversation is a two-way street. Yes, two-way street, and it means that you want to get something out of it. Exactly. So when you go into debates, a debate becomes a conversation. If you're in it not to win but to learn what is true, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And no one loses in a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's not a contest. So, for example, if it turns out after the conversation that a lot of the things I used to believe in were not true, were untenable, then I change my opinions. My opinions are now better. The truth comes out. I'm a winner. Yeah, I mean like, right? In a good conversation, yeah. in a very ideal situation, mm. everyone comes out a winner in a proper conversation. <laughs> that is true. Because no everyone, one loses. Yeah, everyone learns. Yeah, I mean like, wins. because we are on a constant journey of learning. I mean yeah. like, in life, you never really know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> You're always gonna be learning. Uh -huh. And that is the amazing thing. Cause like, a lot of the time, like people will be very rigid with their beliefs and they don't want to have their beliefs taken away from them because yeah. it ruins their perception of reality and uh, they, they lose sense of self. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people have this false conception or a misapprehension that your conviction is linked with how passionate you are yeah, exactly. about something. So they think that if you don't have a very strong conviction about this thing, that means you're willing to change it anytime. They think that you're then not passionate uh -huh. about it. Like in science, for example, the facts that we know for now in science, they will change, right? Of course. That's why scientists don't have convictions about these facts. What scientists have a conviction about would be the methods mm -hmm. of science, the way we do science, the way we know what's wrong or right. And sometimes even that can change. Yes, even that can change. Uh -huh, so, uh -huh. I mean, quantum science, mechanics. That's right. That changed yeah. everything. Yes. Exactly. And even that might perhaps change. In the future. In exactly. the future. So scientists are always prepared to change the facts, mm -hmm. right? And it should be the same about the beliefs that people have about other things, about politics, economics, art, and the problem that... But still, you see that scientists can be very passionate. Exactly. Right? I see they're that you're willing, very passionate. Yes. Uh -huh, uh -huh. They're willing to change their beliefs, but they're still very passionate. Mm -hmm. So you can be both willing to change your beliefs and still be passionate about those beliefs. So do you think that sort of mentality is 
is it linked to the whole thing of, um, just to put it in maybe an easier to digest sort of format, like a lot of people don't want to change their opinions because they're gonna look weak. You know what I mean? Yes. They don't want to feel like an idiot because I don't want to change my belief because if I change my belief, that just proves that I was wrong and I don't want to be wrong. That is a sad way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And I hope that the people who think that way would change it because it takes strength, in fact, to recognize that you were wrong this whole time and to change it. I mean, that's a pretty hard thing for some people to admit that they yes. were wrong. Uh -huh. And it takes also a lot of unlearning because for a long time, for example, you believe it should be this way and you've been swayed, you've been convinced to think differently. It takes a lot of unlearning. It's very challenging. It takes uh a lot of strength and people must recognize admit to that like whoa I've been wrong it's not because you were an idiot but it's because we're humans and sometimes even with a lot of thought put into it even if we put all our energies into thinking about something we could still be led astray yeah exactly I mean like unlearning is a very hard thing to do I mean me myself like I'm a grown-ass man mm -hmm. and like yeah we learn all the time yeah I learned like I keep forgetting that Pluto uh. isn't a planet anymore. <laughs> I keep forgetting that fact. And I'm like, why haven't I relearned that? You know? Uh -huh. you know? Okay, so that's what Filipino Freethinkers yes. is about. And that is what Humanist Association of the yes. Philippines Incorporated. Am yes. I getting that right? Yes, the Humanist Association of the Philippines Incorporated is very closely linked with FF. What is that? What is that? Because they want to advocate humanism. And humanism is a philosophy that founded during the time of the Enlightenment. And it says that we humans, humans should be the central aspect of ethics and values. Like we should not try to pin matters of life and death on some distant cosmic concepts. Okay. Those are far removed from us. We should look into ourselves as humans and look at all the suffering that all humans are right now going through and look at what things make humans happy. The things that make humans, well, great. And we should try to minimize the suffering of humans and try to encourage the flourishing of humans. Okay, forgive me if this is an oversimplification okay. of what you're trying to say, but um, are you trying to say that living in the now, basically focusing on what matters for us as humans? Yes, that is Okay, correct. okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. In the here and now, <laughs> it's very, very important. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So for example, we should seek justice. Mm -hmm. We should try to eliminate injustice, not by looking into some future system of retribution and rewards, but we should do justice here now. That sounds pretty great. Okay, we've talked about a lot so far, but for now, we will be taking a short break. Okay. And when we return, we'll be back here with Mr. Pichir Deshardo on A Meal in the Morning at Night. BRB, just a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. You're listening to A Meal in the Morning at Night. Honestly, I don't have much to say here just yet, but if you have any ideas or if you would like me to talk about your stuff in this section, send us an email over at emilinthemorning at gmail.com. Now, I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far, so let's get right back to it. That sounds good. That okay. sounds good. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We're back here at a meal in the morning at night with Mr. Pichur Deshardo. We actually got to talking about a lot off mic, and I kind of regret it. <laughs> like, I kind of regret turning off the mic. Okay, right now, like, I'm just trying to finish up my coffee. Okay. Um, are you enjoying your cappuccino? Yes. Are, are you doing all right? Uh -huh. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I 
was oh, wow. not offended by the cup though, the red and green cup. <laughs> Holy Seems shit. very inoffensive to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a red cup. <laughs> red oh man, cup, yeah. now that you bring it up, I have no idea why people are so butthurt over the cup. Like, what is that about? Like, do you know anything about that? Like, I have no idea. I just see these headlines that people are uh -huh. upset about the red Starbucks cup. <laughs> what is up with that? Same here. I actually don't know what it's about. I just know it's somehow related to a long-standing sensitivity among many conservative Americans who feel that most of the world is waging a war on Christmas, oh. as they call it. That is a very succinct explanation of mm -hmm. what we are trying to tackle, mm -hmm. but let's move on. Okay. You know, let's not talk about that yes. Starbucks cup. <laughs> um, let's not give it the attention it yes. deserves. So let's talk about a different set of stars. So not Starbucks, but <laughs> Star Trek. Oh, you want to get back to Star Trek? Huh? <laughs> yeah, sure, okay. why not? That sounds great. Actually, off mic, you were telling me something about like this event that you guys organized before and you went as like young Picard. Young and, Picard, yeah. And you actually shaved your head for it. Yes, yes. It was not super short. Okay. For those who are familiar with the cuts of semi-calbo, I shaved my hair to uno. Uno, okay. Yes, and in fact, <laughs> I, I asked him to shave it a zero, but the guy didn't hear me correctly, so it was uno, so. <laughs> okay, so for those who want to know about the event, the event is called Space Safari. It's Space in that, Safari. It's already a sequel. It's called Space Safari 2. Okay. I was not around during Space Safari 1. Mm -hmm. Well, I was around on Earth, but I was not <laughs> part of the organization that... Holy crap, okay. Yeah, that hosted it. So... Space uh, Safari was hosted by the Humanist Association of the Philippines. Happy, okay. So Happy hosted this event, Space Safari, last year. Mm -hmm. And I was recently introduced to the organization just this year. Okay. And when they learned about me and what I do, they said, hey, you can do Space Safari 2 for 2015. So I did Space Safari 2. We did it last November 8th. November yeah. 8th, all right. That was a Saturday. We did it that's at That's pretty a, recent. Yeah, that's yeah. recent at a bar. In fact, that was our, that was our costume party for Halloween. So oh, it was a late right. Halloween. So I dressed up as Captain Picard, although I did not have a red shirt. Picard does. <laughs> yeah, so I just wore blue. Okay. And for those Star Trek fans, again, what we did was this. So the name of the event is Space Safari 2. Okay. We used this freeware called Space Engine. Space Engine. Okay. So, so it's a totally awesome freeware. If you have a good machine, unfortunately, it does not work on Mac. It oh, works on PC though. That's yeah. a usual yeah. thing. Yeah. Gaming and you know the <laughs> Mac. Uh, yeah, there, there's no Mac version, but if you have, for example, an Alienware computer, use it. It works especially well with you know, with computers. a really good graphics engine uh -huh. because it's freeware that allows you to fly around the universe. Oh wait, it's a, freeware? Yes, it's free. Oh wow, it's All a right. procedurally generated universe. It has its basic planets, but if you want to download a higher version, a higher resolution version of Earth, for example, you're gonna have to download something that's a file that's around, I think, 30 gigabytes in size. Oh wow, that's All just right. Earth. Yeah, Mars would be around 16 gigabytes in size. Mercury, so you have to download those independently. Man, okay, this is. Is kind of blowing my mind uh -huh. th that this is free yeah it's but like free. it sounds very similar uh -huh. to like a game that's actually in production right now and this sounds like a more in-depth version of that have you heard of like no man's sky i'm not sure if i'm getting that right but no man's sky no man's sky i'll look it up I'll yeah look it, up. I it, 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 it sounds like uh -huh. what you're describing to okay. me because like it's 
something where you explore space uh-huh. and it's a procedurally, procedurally generated, generated world mm-hmm. that continually expands. Oh, and basically, okay. it's also an online oh, game. No Man's Sky, okay. It's an online game wherein people just go into the same universe. Okay. And you can go off in any direction you okay. so please. Interesting. And basically, like the, a Minecraft in 3D. Basically, oh, and space. like the more people join in and the more people show up in that universe and the more people explore, the more this universe is created. Wow, okay. And people can discover their own planets awesome. and like claim it for themselves <laughs> and shit like that. Basically. And there will be galactic wars. Basically, yes. people will be like, I was here first. Okay. Get out of my planet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. So, Space Engine is like that. You can mm-hmm. put it on spaceship mode or airplane mode because you can land on the planets. Oh, yeah, and yeah, And see yeah. Aurora from above. Okay. Yeah, you could land into the oceans and do all sorts of things. You could check out stars, see stars that kiss, go to planets with ring systems that are crazy. And I used that freeware during the show. For space, the event, yeah. yeah. For the event, Space Safari 2. So I was like the young Captain Picard, <laughs> newly minted captain. All right. And I used that fictional universe. I said, okay, welcome passengers of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. My name is Captain Picard and we'll have a flight today. We will explore unknown worlds. We will look for new life. Oh man, We will yeah. boldly go. Or no one has gone before. <laughs> Let us do that now. Of course, yes. yeah. And because it is a fictional spaceship, uh-huh. just like the USS Enterprise, we could go on warp drive. So, <laughs> in fact, it was not just the astronomy of the different planets and the stars that we visited that I talked about during that event. I also talked about the science behind warp drives and the fact huh. that the Alcubierre warp drive, which was made by Miguel Alcubierre, it's a just a theoretical thing for now. A although, theoretical warp. Okay. Yeah. A theoretical warp drive. Because I thought you were about to blow my mind that warp drives were a real thing. But here's the thing. Okay. NASA is already interested in that. Because it's theoretical. That's That's true. true. Yes. Okay. But it seems that it might be sound after all. That huh. it is doable. So NASA is doing research on the warp drive. To actually push forward with this technology. Yes. To see if they can bend space and time to make spaceships travel faster than the speed of light. Yeah, faster quote unquote. Because bending reality means that you travel a shorter time through space. That is true. Uh-huh. And the thing about the speed limit of the universe called the speed of light. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, it's not actually a about light. The speed really? of light is about the speed of causality. Huh, okay. Yes. So that's another that's one thing. And another thing about the so-called speed of light, which is the speed of causality, it's called the speed of the universe. That means nothing can travel through space and time faster than the speed of light. So nothing can of travel course. through space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Faster yeah. than that. Things can only travel as fast as light if they're massless. So gravitational waves, anything that's massless would travel as fast as light. In fact, they can't help but travel as fast as light. But space itself can travel faster than the speed of light. That's why, because of the expansion of, of the, the universe, universe yes, exactly, there are galaxies that are traveling away from us. At a faster rate. Faster than the speed uh-huh, of light. Because uh-huh. they're not traveling through space. It's space it's that It's space expands. that's actually expanding. Yes. I mean, some people even fear that we're going to come to a point where we won't be able to see stars anymore. It is unfortunately and very sadly a well-founded fear. 
Really? Yes. Okay, okay. Like, if the universe expands enough, we won't be able to see anything anymore. Yes. Okay. Basically, because, of course, light travels through space. Mm -hmm. so it can only travel at the speed of light. But since the universe is expanding faster than, than the, the speed, speed of, of light, light. Yes. So that means light cannot travel faster than the speed of light. Light cannot catch up. So basically, the expansion of space. The light of these stars and planets can never reach us. Yes. Huh. So there will come a time that the galaxies that we're seeing right now, we cannot see them anymore. So it'll just will be, be a black sky. Yes. Oh man. Or at least the only stars that we will see will be the stars within our own galaxy. Oh. And the, perhaps the Andromeda galaxy. Well, we're probably going to be like gone. Yeah. <laughs> By the time super, that happens. Super far into no the No need to worry about yeah. that. You know, <laughs> let's worry about the now, okay. right? <laughs> yes. And well, no need to worry about that as well when it comes to, you know, how romantic our skies will look like. Because in fact, all the skies, all the stars that we could see in our night sky okay. are just part of our Milky Way galaxy. There are just about 5,000 to 6,000 stars that you could see on a clear night sky here on Earth. If you wait for the entire night, that would be about 10,000 stars. Okay. That's a very, well, that's a big number for us humans. <laughs> that's a big number for our brains. Yeah, for our brains, but that's a very, very small number as far as our galaxy is concerned because our galaxy is made of 100 billion stars, basically 100 billion suns. Basically, we're just seeing a fraction of what's out there. <laughs> yes, a very, very tiny fraction, which is why we don't need to worry because when we are trapped in that bubble, all the stars that we'll ever see, we, they're the only stars we ever see with yeah. our naked eyes, are the stars that are part of our own galaxy. Now, why are we talking about this again? Oh man, you, <laughs> you know, usually I would, like, usually I would apologize to my guests uh -huh. for going off on tangents, <laughs> okay. because I usually go on tangents, <laughs> and it's usually my fault, and I try to stop myself, and I try to, like, get back on track, but... Oh yeah, I'll compare warp drive, I remember Yeah, that. yeah, yes. exactly, because... but, like, me, like, with you, though, okay. we go on tangents together, All right, yeah. and, and, like, I just can't help but go with the tangents, yeah, because yeah. it's interesting learning about yes. stuff, and it's interesting talking about uh -huh. this with you so yeah. sorry to everyone if we went on a massive tangent again <laughs> and that's a usual problem of mine uh -huh. i know but wasn't it fun learning <laughs> it will in fact be more fun because uh Alcubierre drive okay drive back on track yes yeah it allows spaceships to seemingly travel faster than the speed of light because it will be space and time itself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that moves in fact the, the spaceship won't be traveling at all in its local space-time bubble it just stays there so when you're inside the uss enterprise that's why they don't feel that they're being pushed to the back whenever they go on warp drive. Exactly. Because that spaceship just stays there. It's space and time that pushes them. It's not our usual perception of velocity and yeah, speed indeed. and stuff like that. Yeah. It's basically just relative movement. Yes, that's true. Because uh -huh. space behind the spaceship will push them while space in front of the spaceship will pull them. Exactly. It's like you you fold you space fold space. and time. Yes. Exactly. I mean like some people with like science fantasy yeah. and stuff like that, that's what they call a wormhole. Yeah, indeed. When you bend reality yeah, and just yeah. like skip an entire <laughs> section of space. Yes, that's right. Oh. And here is the mind-blowing thing. Mm -hmm. When Gene Roddenberry was creating the original series and Next Generation of Star Trek, there was no Alcubierre warp drive. Huh. There was so, none. Alcubierre, Miguel Alcubierre, who's a Mexican physicist, made his theory in the late 80s, early 90s, because he was a fan of Star Trek. So the science fiction came first. Yes. And the inspired the real science. Indeed. And in fact, it was the word that Gene Roddenberry used, warp drive, that inspired Be him. Because it was from Star Trek. Yes, huh? because the word was warp. And he said, hmm, warp. What if I warp space and time? What will that do? And he being a physicist plugged it into Einstein's equations and saw that if you bent if you warped if you warped reality space and time indeed reality uh -huh. is a good 
way of describing space-time. You would have a spaceship that travels in the same way that the USS Enterprise does. That's pretty amazing because usually when you hear the word warp, you're like, you just imagine this portal. Yeah, you, yeah. you just imagine this like Stargate <laughs> type thing of like a random galaxy okay, spinning yes. in it and you go through and you pop out the other side. Yeah, yeah. But the reality is that it's a very literal term. Yes. You warp time and he space. He warped it. Uh -huh. And in fact, his study on his warp drive, the Alcubierre warp drive, okay, is kind of like the ultimate fan fiction. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like a fan actually <laughs> converts science fiction into science. That's pretty amazing. Yes, and it's fa pretty amazing because here's another thing for fans of other kinds of science fiction out there. Okay. When Miguel Alcubierre made his warp drive, the original amount of energy that is required to fold space and time so that you could have a USS Enterprise traveling at warp 7 or warp 10 <laughs> yeah. would be about the mass of a giant star. Oh man, yeah. And other scientists were trying, of course this is theoretical, they were trying to solve the theory and see if they could minimize the, you know, decrease the energy requirements. And the most recent studies have shown that you could decrease the energy requirements so they were able to decrease the size of the sun to the size of the earth. And recently they saw that you could in fact power a spaceship to travel at warp speed using a fuel with the mass of a small asteroid if 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 your spaceship was bigger on the inside what okay wait so now we're in doctor who territory yeah, indeed all right if you had a tardis instead of an enterprise if you fold space and time within within such that your bubble is actually very very small on the outside but of course you want a lot of passengers and you want a lot of payload inside so you make it bigger on the inside and a TARDIS could travel at warp speed using only the mass of a small asteroid. That is pretty amazing man you're hitting a lot of like fandoms right yeah, now indeed. holy crap and with actual real science. Yes. Yeah. Okay so it was actually found out that the bigger on the inside thing is like an actual thing. <laughs> it could be an actual thing, yes. Like they saw that as a solution to the problem. Yes. Oh man, so... <laughs> so right now it's all theory, but I hope, I hope my great, great, great grandchildren would say, oh, this is awesome. If only our ancestors knew what we're doing right now, their <laughs> minds would be blown. Yeah, I mean like, I always find it hard to come to grips with that fact that I won't be around for some amazing things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, really amazing things. It always gets me that like, yeah. I mean like right now, like for example, um, the Oculus Rift. Yeah, and like indeed, stuff indeed. like that, like uh -huh. amazing ways to experience <laughs> media. Like you put on a headset, suddenly you're in a different world. Yeah, yeah, like it's amazing, and it's hard for me to come to grips with the fact that this technology is in its infancy, and I probably <laughs> won't be able to experience it at its peak. Yes, yes. Because for me, like I'm a big fan of multiplayer uh -huh. online RPGs, yes. and like I just want to like put on a headset and just be in a different world you know what I mean like yeah get lost space. in the world yeah I, I always get I'm also a big fan of multiplayer RPGs and the big downfall well the biggest problem I have with them which is also why I love them mm -hmm. It's like, just get so lost in these worlds. Exactly. Such that a large part of my gaming experience is not playing the game as much as exploring the world. Or, well, playing the game for me is in large part exploring the world. So, there are completely legitimate ways of yes. playing this game yeah, differently. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. some people might want to just yeah. kill stuff. Yeah. Some people might just want to like do things competitively. Yes, but yes. it's completely legitimate to just explore. Indeed, it, indeed. It's part of the game. That's right. Or just like when you're going around and like 
the, the new games right now are just so realistic that you have to learn new languages if you're in a different exactly. part of yeah, that yeah, world, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 that's pretty And there would be different modes of transportation that you do. It's pretty cool. Okay, that's that's super great that we're uh, talking about gaming now because uh, like that's a usual thing we talk about on this show. We talk about like life and video games every <laughs> week. When it comes to gaming, what are you into? I am mostly a strategy gamer. Strategy yes. gamer. So RTS, that kind of stuff? Or yes, like real-time strategy. Real-time yeah. strategy. So or... I love a lot of RTS as well. Like okay. For example, I play StarCraft, the usual. StarCraft, Starcraft Warcraft, Warcraft, of course. Especially their campaigns. Like I love the way Blizzard games are so well-written. So much <laughs> yeah. so that I even buy the books sometimes. You're talking about on... Blizz fanboy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd read the backstory of Arthas or especially... Mm, yeah. Uh, Thrall, yeah. how amazing characters they are. Have you seen the trailer for the movie that's coming up next year? Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm so uh, excited, like, like giddy like a fanboy. Yeah, Durotan's story and like yeah. Thrall is a baby. That's yeah, super that's right. cool. So, so they're so well written. The Starcraft world is also very well written. Mm-hmm. I love it, the story of Raynor, the story of all of these people. It's pretty amazing. So I play that too. But the ones that I really invested a lot of time in would be turn-based strategy in particular, one franchise. Really? What? And that franchise would be Sid Meier's... Civilization. Yes, Civilization. Oh, I man. got into Civ when it was Civ 2. Uh, yeah. Yes. Just right in time for the release of Civ 3. And oh my gosh, like it was a time warp for me. I remember <laughs> I was in high school when Civ 3 came out and with Civ 4, Civ 5 and all of the expansion <laughs> exactly. packs. Well, I was a teacher, for example, for um, for several years, I was a teacher in high school. And the great thing about being a teacher is when the students are on break, you're also on, on break. break. Exactly. And students are happy when they're on break, but they don't know how happier the teachers are <laughs> when they're on break. Because yeah. especially me, like I got to explore the World of Warcraft for uh, hours on end and another time six, wait, of course. you used to play World of Warcraft yes, too? Yes, yeah. Holy <laughs> crap. Wow, okay. I was a WoW player. I was a WoW player too. Yeah, yeah. And then oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Something important. Alliance or Horde? For the Horde, of course. Yes! Yeah, for, for the, the Horde! horde. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I am Horde. I, like, I've played different races within the Horde. All right. I, of course, played Blood Elf, because who doesn't want to be a sexy Blood Elf? But I was more <laughs> into the Orcs. I just love the culture. I love the world of the Orcs. I myself was Forsaken, though. Oh, okay. I <laughs> for see. the Dark Lady. For the Dark Lady. <laughs> I've tried. I've had certain characters as Forsaken, too. But most of my characters, my main character especially, was an Orc. But oh, I, I love the Torin world as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I love the fact that their capital city oh, <laughs> was man. on top of Plateau, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was so easy to push Alliance players off. <laughs> <that thing. laughs> That's right. I love that. Yeah. I, I love the contradiction of the fact that they were big, burly creatures. Living on top of a sheer <laughs> cliff. Yeah. How did it... Yeah, how, how crossing, did they even climb that? Yeah, indeed. And crossing, like, rope bridges, uh-huh. right? hanging bridges, going up elevators. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, I had no idea you were a WoW player. Okay, we're just geeking out right okay, now yeah. about... So, yeah, aside from WoW, which was one of my time warps, another one, of course, would be Civilization. Civilization, I just love because I love maps. Mm-hmm. I was a total map geek, geography geek when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, I could even draw the world map from memory. And huh. one thing I often do when I wait for some friends when they're doing other things in the mall. If I don't have a book with me, I'll get my smartphone out and I'll play geography games because I could. <laughs> okay. I, I just love those fill out the blank map kind of games because I right. know where all those Istan countries are. Okay. <laughs> Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I know where they are. All those stands. So, yeah. Yes, all those stands. So I, I love geography. I love world history. And when I saw that you could translate that love into a game. Where you can actually <laughs> influence the course of history. Yes. <laughs> I was like mind blown. I was so happy. Like, uh, not really happy, but like, I found it very funny when I was playing my game and Gandhi declared war on me. Oh yeah, <laughs> God. That asshole Gandhi. Yeah. And I love the backstory behind why Gandhi yeah. is such an asshole, right? Yeah. You know the backstory behind No, actually. It. It's a running gag now in the civilizations world because that happened when the programmers of Civ 1 were writing the script of the game. They did not know that the language of the game had a certain modulus, right? So it was, I think, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but let's just say it was modulo 10. Okay. So they wanted Gandhi to be very, very peaceful, very unaggressive. So All right. there were like aggressive civilizations, like they were level 10, level 9. For example, the United States would be level 9. Other civilizations would be very, very war freak. And some civilizations were like neutral, they would be level 5. And some would be very peaceful, pacifist, like level 2 or 1. Okay. And they tried to make Gandhi very peaceful. So, so they, 1. I think they put him at a 0 or a, a negative 1. And they didn't know that because oh, the language man. was modulo 10, yeah. that means 0 is 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> negative 1 is 9. Exactly. So, so when they put him at a 0, he was actually a 10. ten. Yes. When you said like they put him at negative 1 or 0, I already like, the lights in my head were already like, oh, the code, no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's exactly. right. So that's what happened. So when they play the game Civilization 1, they saw, hey, why is Gandhi so Such aggressive? Such an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> why does he nuke us all the time? <laughs> oh, man. I Why does he break all alliances? I didn't know that about the programming yeah. of this game. Like, and I lost a year to Civilization <laughs> V. And I was always wondering why Gandhi would always, like, take over my yeah, shit and right. bomb me. <laughs> and when they saw that error, they did not correct this because they thought it was it's so funny. funny. Yeah. And it was so funny in a way that they just went along with it throughout all the other civilizations. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. So Civ 2, 3, 4, until 5, all had war freak Gandhis. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah, that is a cool backstory. So what I love about all of these civilizations, I still play three until now and okay. four and five, right? Five is so good because the war is so streamlined. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And the greatest thing I love about five, and this shows how evil I am sometimes, <laughs> is this. What? When I play Civ, I, in fact, I've only ever, I think, won a military victory once or twice because I don't like playing militaristically. Mm, me too. I have a minimal army just enough to so defend that my yourself. neighbors won't bully me. Uh, exactly. I've noticed that when they notice I'm weak, you, they, they don't, don't have an me. army yes. at all. Yeah. I'm more into the commerce, like when I see that I have few goals, <laughs> I hate that. Okay. And into the science. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I also go into the culture part. I, I want the... You want the seven wonders. Yes, that kind all, of stuff. all the wonders of the world. <laughs> and I want a civilization that my neighboring cities envy so that they defect into ah, my civilization. Right, I love right. that. I love a lot of great artists. But most of my victories are scientific victories and commercial victories. Because mm. I have a lot of money. I can buy all <laughs> sorts of things, technologies. Money and science. Yes. Okay. So I don't like war. Because, of course, they disrupt productivity, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could have been using your resources for something else. For something else, for building spaceships. Yeah, exactly. Stars, mm -hmm. Or for building libraries, for doing scientific research. Exactly. And another thing is, I like my citizens to be happy and to be artists. Okay. And you don't get a lot of artists in a militaristic, closed society, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. In a police state. You get a lot of artists when you have an open society, a democracy. That's why Filipino free thinkers, right? <laughs> you know... 
now that we're talking about this, uh, that's pretty amazing that you can get that from a game. Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> because for me, that is one of the best things about, about gaming. gaming. Because I agree. it's a very interesting way of teaching things uh-huh. to people. And like, it's a very unique space. Yes. Because, I mean, like, reading is great. Uh-huh. Like, like the traditional form of learning things is great. But, mm. like, I just feel for gaming so much because not only are you learning about these things, mm-hmm. but you're in there. You're experiencing it. Yes. You're experiencing mm. it yourself. Mm. In fact, I would say that gaming is the ultimate art form. It's the convergence of all art forms. You get good music in the middle of a game, right? Yeah. That can sometimes even be incorporated in your gameplay. Exactly. You get good storytelling, right? So mm-hmm. you, you get good fiction in your game. You get history lessons or lessons about the way the world works Exactly. in your game. You get lessons about how to live a good life uh-huh, in uh-huh. your game. Some games could be heavy-handed in their messages, but other games can be so subtle that they can teach you morals without being moralistic. Exactly. Right? And uh-huh, uh-huh. as you're playing the game, you discover, hey, I'm learning things. I'm learning how to be a better person, but the game is not preaching to me. It's right? not preaching. It's it, not preaching. It's basically just showing you an environment. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it is the it is also using technology, right? You mm-hmm. get really good graphics, good gameplay, you learn to have fast reflexes, you learn all sorts of things, you have to put all sorts of skills, and some games nowadays even require you to exert certain physical efforts, and I bet that <laughs> as the technology will develop, games will incorporate more about the human condition. Exactly. So, yes, I mean, so like, that in the future we'll have games with smells. We were just talking about tastes. virtual reality a while yes, ago. Like, that's right. We just came from that era uh-huh. of motion control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, of like people waving their arms around wildly in living rooms. We just came from that era. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll go back to that in the same way that fashion sometimes cycles. Maybe gaming fashion will cycle once again. We think yeah. VR is a 90s thing. It will be revived pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, VR like, we'll come back with a vengeance. Before we had like <laughs> stuff like the Virtual Boy. Yeah, that that weird thing that would stand on the table and would give you neck pain and eye strain. <laughs> That's right. And yes. that was Nintendo's first foray into virtual uh, reality. And now we have a very successful Oculus Rift, even being <laughs> Oculus. bought out by Facebook. Yeah, for yeah. so much money. Yes, and it could teach you a lot of things. You could go around the universe. It could teach yeah. astronomy in Oculus Rift. Now going back to civilization. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and the things it can teach you, like, for example, there, it shows you how the openness of a society encourages creativity so you get more artists. So I want my civilization to have a lot of artists. I want my people to be happy (laughs) and I want to be able to trade because people are happier if you have open trade, if you give them a lot of goods. So I don't want to declare war, but sometimes a lot of other civilizations just want to declare war on you. Especially Gandhi. Yeah, especially Gandhi. (laughs) Or they just want to, you know, destroy certain civilizations that you're aligned to. Ah. What I love about Civilization V is it allows me to put a stop to these empires, to these, what I consider my evil rivals. Your militaristic rivals. Yeah, my little... Through alliances with the city-states. Huh, okay. So basically how you play the game is like, you focus on commerce, arts, and science. Yes, and I also focus on my PR relationship (laughs) with the city-states. Because the city-states are not expansionists, right? They're just single patches of territory. What I do about them is I befriend them, Mm -hmm. I give them gifts, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I give them and some of the gifts I'm like the you I'm like the United States in this respect Okay, a lot of the gifts I give them would be advanced weaponry <laughs> oh, Especially wow. 
when their nearby empire starts to invade them. You give them weapons. I give them weapons. Like, I give them the most advanced weapon in civilization, which is the, <laughs> I think it's called the Death Robot. robot right? Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. The Titan Death Robot. Basically, this jank-ass looking gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the empire right beside these city-states would invade the city-states to get their resources. And they get so surprised. That they have when, a robot. <laughs> that they have a robot. And what's really funny is that these robots are destroying the armies of my rivals. For you. For me. <laughs> but I'm still at peace with, with them. rivals. So I can still trade with them. Huh. I'm not at war with them openly. Although <laughs> the a, weapons that attack them are mine. Are from you. From me, yes. That is a really interesting way of playing civilization. <laughs> it is devious, yes. And at the same time, it's sort of a, like a social commentary in, in a way. Exactly. That's uh -huh. why you learn, of, oh, okay, some people actually do, do that. that. Yes, yeah. some civilizations, some governments, that's Actual civilizations, do. by the way. Listeners, we're not talking about the game anymore. <laughs> Actual civilizations. civilizations. Yes. In the open, they're like friends. The, the leaders of these countries shake hands. They meet in summits. Yeah. But in the battlefield, the weapons that are being used in the battle are from these different civilizations. The word you use there, summit, is very timely. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, anyways, man, we've talked about so much. We've yeah. talked about your time at the museum. Okay. We've talked about like your 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 association with Filipino free thinkers. Yes. Um, happy, happy. And we've babbled on about games and like <laughs> I had no idea you were into Blizzard games and yeah. that you played World of Warcraft too. Yeah. So we geeked out there for a while, but like I'd actually like to bring it back a little. Okay. and like talk about something that you were also a part of but I didn't get to gloss over actually um, the Philippine Astronomical Society yes you're also a part of that I'm also a member of the PAS okay so you're part of Filipino Freethinkers mm -hmm. you're a mind mover at the mm -hmm. mind museum you're part of the Humanist Association of the Philippines and on top of that, you're also a member of the Philippine Astronomical Society. Man, what don't you have time for? Okay, so what is the Philippine Astronomical Society about? So PAS, the Philippine Astronomical Society, is a group of enthusiasts, mm -hmm. like people who just love the stars, gazing at the stars and talking about astronomy, and who want to educate the public in these things. Oh, okay. So the things we sometimes we, we have public lectures in different parts of the city, sometimes in universities, sometimes in libraries, sometimes in parks. And we also do sidewalk astronomy, as we call it. So huh. we set up telescopes. On the sidewalk, On huh? the sidewalk and invite people to take a peek, look at the moon, look at the planets, give lectures there in the sidewalk using our lightsabers, I mean laser pointers. <laughs> we point right. at the stars, okay. say, hey, these stars, that's the summer triangle and you can use that to look for Polaris or that's the Big Dipper, you can also use that to look for Polaris. Oh, that's the winter triangle. When you see that in the sky, that means it's a cold month. Oh man, that's and super cool. And those kinds cool. of things, yeah. So PAS, there are many different people here many different members of the Philippine Astronomical Society with different backgrounds, all of them very interested in astronomy and in sharing that passion, that love for the skies to everyone in the Philippines. Because we believe we, along with author Bill Watterson, the author of the comics Calvin and Hobbes, right? Okay. In his own words, we believe that if people went out of their homes every night and looked up into the stars... Mm -hmm. Into the cosmos. Into the cosmos, they would live their lives differently. Yes. Huh. And if only people would not shield themselves from the beauty of the stars using all the light pollution that we have here in the city. Oh man, yeah. Only, yeah, we get more connected to the beauty of the cosmos, we would be different people. I mean, you go out in the city and mm. you don't see anything in the sky because it's so That's fucking right. bright mm. with the street lamps and everything. Yes. So where do you guys hold these types of events? 
sometimes in the city. Like, yes. Really? Some objects are bright enough, like the brightest stars. In fact, it like is... Like stuff like Sirius, that kind of stuff? Yes. Okay. So first of all, the planets are quite bright, right? Yeah, so yeah, they are. Even if you're in the middle of the city, you would see them you through a telescope. Them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you would see the moons of Jupiter, and sometimes even the stripes on Jupiter, and the rings of Saturn, even in the city, and also the beauty of the moon. And in fact, when it comes to the stars and familiarizing yourself with the constellations up there, it is best to start in the city. Because if you go to a very clear night sky, you would so be confusing. overwhelmed. Overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. There's way too much going on there. <laughs> Indeed. Uh-huh. It's sometimes so hard to even just look for the Big Dipper. Like, or just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, where is Orion here? There's so many things. Because usually when I'm here in the city, that is my, like, landmark in yeah, the sky. Right. You, like, you see oh, it immediately. It's Orion. Yeah. I can see it. Uh-huh. And then when I go out to the province, <laughs> like, where are when they? I go out of town, I'm like, where the fuck is Orion? <laughs> I cannot find it anymore. That's right, yeah. I have to use an app on my phone to find it. <laughs> yes. So also use technology. It's amazing. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also great if you would know it. Because, you know, the, the brain is also a really great computer yeah. with its own apps. So it's great if you would install that on your brain. Mine has horrible storage, though. <laughs> so, yeah. So there. So if you familiarize yourself with... If you want to familiarize yourself with the constellations, it's mm-hmm. best to start in the city. You see fewer stars. That means... It's easier to look at the major constellations. So basically, it's kind of like um, introducing a learning curve, huh? Yes, that is right. Because like in the city, you're only seeing a few stars so far. So you familiarize yourself Mm -hmm, with that. mm -hmm. Then you move on to the bigger sky. Yes, that's right. And in fact, the the more interesting things about the sky aren't just the shapes of the constellations, not just the number of stars that are out there. It's really their motions, the gracefulness of their dance, the so-called carousel of stars. The motions? What do you mean? Which you could see and appreciate in the city and by the motions I mean the fact that a lot of people just don't realize it that when they look up into the night sky they see oh the moon everything's moving everything's moving Uh like they know that the sun is moving yeah but people get so surprised when we talk about the moon and then an hour later they look at the same spot in the sky and they say hey the moon's not there oh why is it there and then three (laughs) hours later they say hey why is the moon not around anymore it has set yeah And I say, of course, like you're not surprised of that the sun it's moves. moving. Of course it's moving, right? It has its own motion and the sky also has its seeming motion, its apparent motion, which is of course caused by the earth spinning. Mm-hmm. And what I love sometimes about doing these stargazing events and making people appreciate the motion, mm-hmm. the apparent motion of the stars when we lie down with our backs to the grass, looking at the stars and seeing that they move ever so, so slowly. Slightly. Yeah, uh-huh. ever so slightly. But after a few minutes, you would really see them move. You would see that they're not in the exact same place anymore and sometimes you get reactions from people like oh wait, dear lord oh, wait a minute i can feel the earth spinning yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 that is the amazing thing about knowledge right mm-hmm. when you know something it adds another layer uh-huh. of appreciation basically it just shifts your perspective completely yes. yeah completely because it usually adds another perspective you, you you walk down the sidewalk uh-huh. thinking it's like a static place yes yeah and like just lay down for a second or just look up for a second yeah and you'll realize that you're actually moving at the same rate as the earth yeah. spinning yeah and that's just like a mind-boggling fact it is, it is not yes. only is the earth spinning yeah it's all 
also rotating around the sun. Yeah, going around the sun. So if you think about it, you're doing all these movements too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and the sun is going around the center of the galaxy, and the galaxy is also, also spinning. Yes. Yeah. So if you think about it, suddenly you're not just standing on a sidewalk. Yeah. You are standing on the sidewalk, moving at the speed of a hurling rock <laughs> through the universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's just like mind blowing. It is mind blowing. It's something that you can't fathom on a regular day to day basis. Yes. And I like that you guys are doing these events. Just bring that message out there. Yeah. Like open the minds of some people. Yeah. And I, when I do that, I usually focus not on the facts. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because because facts are difficult to remember in isolation. I always want to concentrate in the story. For example, it's sometimes hard to remember the names and exact events and dates in history or in a game or in a story, right? Mm. But if you tie them all together in a graceful story arc, you, you don't need to memorize names. You just remember them right away. You remember the moments. Yes. Yeah, you remember the moments because they fit their pieces of a puzzle, uh -huh. right? So if you just look at the pieces of a puzzle in isolation, they're not as beautiful. They don't make the sense. Puzzle. Yeah, they don't make sense. Uh -huh. And that's what I focus on as well when I do sidewalk astronomy, when I do lectures in astronomy in general. I focus on the story. The wonderful story, and I always, when I do stand-up science as well, mm -hmm. most of my audience would be poets, writers, artists. So they don't have a formal science training, uh -huh. but I always want to encourage them. I tell them, you're artists, that's true, you're writers, but love science, know science. Be nerds and geeks as well as artists. Uh -huh. Don't view science as an enemy of the arts. Don't view learning as an enemy of beauty. Because some people have this misconception that if you look at a certain phenomenon mm -hmm. and try to analyze it using science, you're destroying the beauty in it, right? You're destroying the magic. Yes, you're destroying basically. the magic. Some would describe science unweaved the rainbow. So the, way, the rainbow is so beautiful, but because science explained it in terms of refraction yeah. and reflection, it all of a sudden became just wavelengths. It's suddenly just a prism separating light. Yes, yeah. indeed. As if that were not magical and amazing. Yeah, I mean, right? like, sure they explained it, but we still don't know why the fuck that happens. Mm -hmm. We still don't know why the fuck that is. Yeah. Even if we do know mm -hmm. why that happens, for example, even if we can explain, for example, we haven't fully explained love and a lot of various human emotions, but we're getting there. And we have partial explanations for now in science, things that have something to do with receptors and hormones. And even if we make that explanation final, even if we've explained it fully scientifically, mm -hmm. we will still not diminish the beauty of all of these experiences. Exactly. We've only added a layer. Yeah. For example, if you look at the beauty of a sunset, knowing that it looks so beautiful because of the fraction, the reflection, the scattering of light off of particles in the air will not make it less beautiful, right? Exactly. It will still be that same old beautiful sunset. It's still beautiful. Only there's another layer of beauty on top of the one you see. There's another layer of appreciation Indeed. because if you think about it, knowing these factors about why the sunset is colored like this because of the particles mm -hmm. in the air. Indeed. Um, because of it makes it more mind-blowing. Yeah, because of knowing these things, you have an appreciation. It's just mind-blowing uh -huh. that these, like, millions of factors came together to create That's right. this. Yes, you and know? get to your eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. And you appreciate that. And here's another example, for example, if you look at a beautiful landscape, like the Grand Canyon, yeah. right? Which is beautiful, 
by itself. Yeah. But notice how much more beautiful it is when you know why yes, it's there. It's there. Why know what it, <laughs> why it looks like that? When you know that the layers of rock that you see are like the pages of, of a, a book, book uh-huh, uh-huh. which is the earth. And if you just know the language that the earth speaks, you could read it. Yeah. In the same way that you could read an epic. And if there is one epic out there, that's it, right? If there's story. The Grand Canyon. Yeah, the story of the earth. I mean, the story from the beginning of life to now. I mean, if you want to start with a small book, open up a tree. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, you, you see the stories there. So knowing the science behind something mm-hmm. does not diminish its beauty. It only adds to it. it adds I completely it, agree. Yes. And in fact, it will make you as an artist more multi-leveled, multi-layered. It will increase the beauty of your art. Like if you look at these artists who are also very versed in science, like if you listen to the funny lyrics of Tim Minchin's songs, mm-hmm. right? Or for example, if you read the beautiful comedy of Douglas Adams or Terry Pratchett, if you look at art that's scientifically informed as well, like for example, M.C. Escher's paintings yeah. are mind-blowing and they're additionally mind-blowing because M.C. Escher himself was very interested in geometry. He was interested in optics. So I didn't he know knew that. his science. Huh, all yes. right. Is that why like all of Escher's paintings are so fucking weird? Yeah, they are weird. Because <laughs> yeah. he was when he was painting them, there was a revolution in physics going on. A revolution huh. in the way we looked at reality, especially space and time. Okay. And he say, okay, space and time are not what they seem to us. So They're... that's why Escher painted like yes. that. Yes. So I did not know that. He... I thought he was just a weirdo. <laughs> he wanted to give us an artistic gut level appreciation. Of that revolution. Yes. Of the dizzying feeling. Of that new perspective. Of that new perspective. Yeah, ah. the vertigo you feel, right? So scientists were feeling vertigo because of the quantum revolution, revolution of relativity. And he wanted the general public to appreciate that without the use of equations. So he used art. And I think that if artists use that, right, that would make their art more varied, more beautiful, right? For example, the new science that we're learning right now about human nature, all of the things we're learning about genetics. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the century, as they say, of genetics. Uh, the 20th mm-hmm. was the century of physics. The 19th was the century of chemistry. Okay. So m- the revolution in chemistry, was there 19th century, 20th century physics, Einstein and quantum revolution. And for us, it's genetics. It's genetics. It's bioengineering. It's genetic engineering. And that will be the next wave of revolution. The next right? big thing, basically. The next big thing. And if artists try to incorporate that in their art, that would make their art more relevant, more deep, more piercing, and more touching. And in fact, more honest, more truthful about the human condition. Basically, so would, like their work would speak to what we're experiencing indeed, right now. Indeed, right now. Uh-huh. And it would be an experience that might not be relatable were it not for art, right? That's the beauty of art. That's something that only art can do. It can, it's like an amber, right? Capturing that mosquito, insect, yeah, yeah. That mosquito and freezing it in time. Art does that best. For example, if you want to feel how it felt like living during the 1970s, 1950s, for example, you read great novels written that time, mm-hmm. right? If you want to feel how it was to be in the 90s again, just play grunge. <laughs> I mean, for us, if we want to remember the 90s, we'll pick up a CD. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll yeah, pick yeah, up yeah. a CD, uh, uh, we'll pick up a cassette tape. Yeah, yeah, or play those good old-timey games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, because those games don't only give you a feel of the aesthetic, yeah, yeah. but also the things they were passionate about. Like, you see, right, they, they had a different view 
view of the future back then, uh-huh, right? In totally. the 80s, they were very optimistic uh-huh. about the future. Their view of the future was different from during the 90s. During the 90s, it was mostly cyberpunk. They were very pessimistic yeah. about the future. And you could relate it to what was happening in history. Oh man, like we could go on and on <laughs> about this. I mean, like yeah. right now, we're just, again, it's my fault. I know it's my job That's to keep us on track. <laughs> it's my job to keep the show on track, but I just love talking about the shit. Yeah. And it's usually my fault that I get on tangents, but you just seem to like, mm, like you, you like, I am on the same wavelength with you right now. And I'm just like really into this tangent. Yeah. And like, okay. I like, am into it too. I would love to talk more, but like sadly, podcasts have a time limit. Yeah. So like, like, I don't know, like maybe we could like continue this conversation in maybe another episode. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about something specific in another sure, episode. Sure, sure. Yeah, part two. That sounds great. But yeah. anyways, before we wrap up though, okay. uh, one last thing. Before we started rambling on about like <laughs> that massive tangent about so how, many things. how beautiful life is. Uh-huh. Before we started on that, mm. we were talking about, um, what was it? PASS? The yes. Fi- the Philippine, Philippine Astronomical, Astronomical Association. Society. Yeah. Uh, society. Mm. Oh, God damn it. The Philippine Astronomical Society. And you guys were talking about events and stuff like that, right? Yes. Okay, like if our listeners would be interested in like appreciating the universe mm-hmm. more or if our listeners would be interested in like joining any one of your events, I mean like let's not limit it to the Philippine Astronomical Society. What about Philippine free thinkers yes. or other things like that? Okay. Is there anything you want to plug or is there anything that you want to invite our listeners to? Sure, sure. So I asked the listeners to like these groups on Facebook. So okay. They're all on Facebook, the Filipino free thinkers. Okay, Filipino free thinkers, yes. that's number one, yeah. Happy has also a Facebook group. Um, if I remember correctly, that's the Humanist Association of the Philippines, of the Philippines Incorporated. Happy, And yeah. PASS, the Philippine Astronomical oh. Society. Okay, so it's, that's all on Facebook. Yes. You can find it there. Yeah, we also announce all our events on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. For example, FF meets regularly. We meet two weekends of every month. Okay. So that's every other week. Usually we meet on a Saturday or on a Sunday. Different coffee shops. Huh. And even though many of us in FF are atheists or agnostics we sometimes meet in a church <laughs> really yeah yeah we, we huh. do meet in a church because of course we have members who are also believers of various religions but none of us are dogmatic we all converse about these things peaceably yeah by the way there's nothing friendly. wrong with that yeah, yeah. you know there's nothing uh, wrong with like having like a belief in religion mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then the humanist association of the philippines incorporate we also have different events for example the next event i'm going to be a part of would be another space safari space safari yeah, like what okay. we did last will time will you be taking us through space on a simulation yes okay. i will do that but i will do that in bacolod city oh, my man. hometown that's kind of yes. far so if we have listeners who are in the who live in the area who live in bacolod yes, who live in bacolod you could join us then mm-hmm. for that event we would also have a lecture on environment okay. yes and how to save the environment because we also do tree planting in happy so oh, that's in bacolod great. so that's our next event and we'll also have events in the future in fact i also plan a book club for happy a book club yes so I'm starting small we're trying the proof of concept for now okay but hopefully we could bring it out to the public soon so that all those who are really interested in joining a book club can join us I want a book club that's so so varied so book clubs that will talk about I don't know anything anything really oh that sounds super fun okay how about um like are you doing any stand-up science anytime soon (laughs) 
right now, maybe. So one of the Thursdays, we usually do it on a Thursday. One of the Thursdays of December, there might be one. Mm-hmm. So the group that usually invites me to do the stand-up science thing would be the group PLUS, P-L-U-S. P-L-U-S. So they're okay. a group of artists, uh, a mostly. A group of performers. Yes, a group of performers and advocates for the environment that usually meet up at Conspiracy Bar mm-hmm. in Quezon City. So that would be, I think, the third Thursday of December. Oh, that's the week of Christmas. Okay, that sounds super cool. Okay, um, so far, there's the Filipino Freethinkers, mm-hmm. there's Happy, there's the Astronomical Society, yes. and there's even the, um, the stuff with... Um, with Plus. Yeah. With Plus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, is there anything else you might want to talk about before we wrap up? Yeah, maybe later <laughs> off... Off yeah, mic, off, off mic. mic, yeah, yeah. But, but like, is there anything you'd like to leave with our listeners? Maybe like a final message from Pisher right now. Oh, final message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because usually I ask this with like uh-huh. my guests or like, I don't know. Because usually I ask like, if you were to talk to our guests or something like okay. that, and they're new to this kind of thing, okay. and like they'd want to get into it, what would you tell them? What I would tell them would be to, right now it's November, and next month it's December. It'll be <laughs> yeah. December pretty soon. These months are very good months for gazing at the dark night skies so even if you're in the city start that December around December 12 13 14 there will be a meteor shower oh if you're still not into stargazing start then <laughs> look for a dark night sky watch out for the meteors that are part of the Geminid meteor shower and just enjoy the show man I hope that it will be a life-changing experience for you <laughs> as seeing my first meteor shower was for me Oh man, and see the beauty in in the cosmos. See that you are part of the universe. In fact, one of the most astounding facts about ourselves, about humans, that I always tell guests of the museum, especially when I do my lectures in astronomy, is this: the fact that the very atoms that make up our bodies came from the core of long dead stars. Ah, like, yeah, we were. I know baked, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the furnace, in the bellies of stars long dead, and when these stars exploded as supernovae, they spread their ashes their dust into the rest of the universe and eventually these dust coalesce into planets and from one of these planets arose us. Yeah, yes. basically. So We're in, basically made of stardust. Yes, we uh-huh. are in a very literal, literal sense. Not just metaphorical, but uh-huh. we are literally stardust. Stardust, yes. Uh-huh. So we are not just part of the universe we, well we're not just in the universe we are part, part of the universe of the universe yes mm-hmm. we are a way of the universe as Carl Sagan said a way for the universe to understand itself a lot of the times when you look out at the mm-hmm. vastness of the mm-hmm. universe you feel kind of isolated you feel puny insignificant but mm-hmm. what you're saying is get an appreciation for it and realize that you're not just a small part, a small insignificant part in this universe. Mm-hmm. You're actually a part of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. True, we're very small. We're we're tucked away from a very seemingly not special place yeah. of the galaxy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But that doesn't mean we're insignificant. Yeah, right? exactly. Significance is not tied to size. Significance is relative, Rest, really. Yes. Uh-huh. And significance, of course, would come from us and from what we do here on Earth. And in fact, I think it is, in a way, like liberating to Mm -hmm. look into the night sky, watch a meteor shower, feel how small our place in the grand scheme of thing is, feel how small our existence is in the great span of time, and feel that, oh, I'm so free. I can make mistakes. Like, I'm so scared shitless every day to make a lot of mistakes, right? They can be sometimes Uh paralyzing. You're afraid to take risks. Because you feel that the things, the bad things that would happen to you 
fill your universe. Basically, it's a huge consequence. Yes, you think it's very huge. Mm -hmm. But when you see how insignificant, well, how small your life is compared to the grand scheme of things, you're it's not so afraid to make mistakes at all. That's that's the first time I'm hearing uh, like that perspective when yeah. it comes to the vastness of the universe. Because yeah. usually, when you look out there, you, it sounds bleak. Basically, you're crippled and uh -huh. suddenly you lose all sense of self and like you lose all drive. But what you're saying is people should be looking at this as a liberating factor yes, in a sense the that of crippling. you can do anything you want. Yeah. And basically, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll all be swallowed by oblivion. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. We we got pretty deep there for a second. <laughs> like I was going for the for the like, light kind of ending. For the light kind of ending. Okay, so for the light kind of <laughs> I was angling it towards like a fun message at the end. But <laughs> I like this too. Yeah, yeah I like this too. Yeah. Okay, I had a lovely time. Thank you for having me here, here, and thank you for taking the time to talk with yes, us tonight. No worries. Um, like I hope sometime in the future, maybe like in the near future, maybe you can guest again. Like I, I enjoyed so myself so much <laughs> talking and just like talking about the stuff we're into. I mean, we even talked about video games. And yeah. That's what we always talk about on the show, and okay. you managed to like <laughs> wedge it in, wedge it in, in yeah. somewhere there, and like I thought. Ronin for good measure. I actually thought was this was gonna be a science episode, <laughs> and I was gonna go for the angle of like we usually talk about geek culture. Let's talk about nerd stuff right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And like you just like <laughs> brought it together in a nice like. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's got here. So if you want a more positive way to end it, maybe I can end with this. <laughs> okay. Maybe I can end with this. Science should not be seen in isolation. Okay. You shouldn't see science. Oh, science is just a geek thing. So if I'm not a geek, maybe I'm a nerd. I'm an artsy nerd. Mm -hmm. Science is not for me. It shouldn't be viewed like that. Science, along with humanities, with everything, is part of the whole human experience. It's part of the whole human package. And if you want to be the complete nerd and geek, you must view it as part of all of it. So don't shy, shy away from it. Don't view it as apart from everything else. It's just part of the whole more gas board of fun things. I think you should have that attitude with absolutely everything. <laughs> I agree. Basically, yeah. I mean, that's why that <laughs> I have this like crippling fear that I won't be able to experience everything because I want to experience everything. <laughs> and like, oh man, like, well, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm going on another tangent yes. and I'm gonna have to stop myself because we have to wrap up. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I, like, I've been trying to say thank you, Anina Pa, but I'm gonna do it again. Thank you for being on the show and I hope you can join us again sometime, okay? Thank you for having me as well. Yeah, You're welcome. Good job, it's a wrap. Great and that was another episode of a meal in the morning at night follow our facebook page at facebook.com slash a meal in the morning at night for announcements on when the next episode is out and if you'd like to get in touch with us you can reach us at at emil tang on twitter that's at e-m-i-l-e-t-a-n-g and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send it over to emilinthemorning at gmail.com. Once again, thank you to everyone for joining us for another episode of Emil in the Morning at Night. And if you're like me, thank you for starting your day with us this fine evening. And to the rest of you people out there, a good night. <laughs>